My name is uh, Derek, one of the pastors here. Now, things were supposed to be dark right there, and I was supposed to turn some lights on, but it didn't work. Oh, now it worked. <laughs> A lot easier to see with the lights on. Are you ever like that uh, spiritually? You feel like spiritually maybe you're stumbling in the darkness. Or as you go through life, you keep bumping your knees, right? Relationally, uh, things just aren't going well or whatever it is. Maybe you're one of those that you just have a problem with a lot of different people. Um, or finances, you're struggling with just life in general. You keep just bumping your knees, struggling like you're walking in darkness. You know, God talks about in Scripture quite a bit about how to walk in the light. We're going to be in 1 John, so uh, grab the Bible in front of you and turn to page 1122, 1122, if you would. This is going to be 1 John. And here's the question I want to ask today. Why is it some Christians seem to have a lot of peace, joy, and enjoy that abundant life that God has for us, while others just struggle? And maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, man, I look at these other people. They got it all together. Or at least they look like it, right? Why is it that I can't have that? Why do I keep, again, stumbling in the darkness? What is it that I'm missing that I'm not enjoying? I come to church, they talk about this abundant life. They talk about peace and joy. And I don't have those things. Why not? What is it that makes the difference? And we're going to answer that question today as we look at 1 John. Now, last week, we began this series in 1 John. 1 John 1 one through four, and we saw that it started, John started with who Jesus is, right? It's all based on the identity of Jesus. Jesus, the one and only Son of God, eternally equal with the Father, right? We talked about the Trinity. Good luck understanding the Trinity, but the Trinity is central to our doctrine and understanding who Jesus is, that he died on the cross, that he rose bodily from the dead, not just spiritually, but rose bodily from the dead, and life is found in him, and that's where it starts, now, that's where I want to ask the question. You say, I believe that. I've surrendered to Jesus as Lord, but yet, I still struggle with these addictions. Uh, I, I still struggle with self-doubt, anxiety, all, all these other things. What's my problem? Well, he's going to go on now and get specific about how to actually live. But again, it's based on the truth of who Jesus is, right? That's why he began by talking about Jesus being real. We saw him. We touched him. He really was here. We saw him die. We saw him risen from the dead. In fact, 500 people at the same time saw Jesus risen from the dead. So it's built not on some mythology, but on the actual truth of the Bible, that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. But now it should make a difference. And now that we have this relationship, how do we experience this freedom? And it begins again with a truth. He's going to give us a statement and then he's going to unpack that and apply it. But it begins with the truth. Look at verse 5. 1 John 1, 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So there's the truth that we need to understand that, and then we'll understand the next few verses of how it applies and what that means for us. So what does it mean that God is light? It's kind of neat. If you read Genesis 1... Uh, God creates the light before he creates the sun. And you read in Revelation, the new heaven and the new earth, and it says there's no need for the sun. It doesn't say there is no sun. It says there's no need for the sun because Jesus is 
the light. So frequently, God is referred to as light. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot, actually, in just that one word from the context of that time uh, in history. But light, God is light, means he is spiritually perfect. He is morally excellent, fully transcendent, and the source of all knowledge. All that really is packed into that idea, and more, <laughs> that God is light. Very simply, do you have a big view of God? If we have a big view of God, that helps a lot of things in life. The bigger our God is, the better we can handle the things in this life. But this is what God is. He is light. So whatever light accomplishes, God accomplishes. This is a theme through Scripture. And John, in the Gospel of John, he's the same writer, the Gospel of John, and here, John really likes this theme of God being light. So whatever light does, God does. We need to get a grip on that before we move on to the next verses. But here's the first thing. Light reveals or illuminates. Right? Light reveals or illuminates. In the dark, you can't see where you're going, right? Light shows what's going on. We, uh, <laughs> Alex was talking about gardening a few weeks ago. And we've had our, our own things with gardening and the squash bugs and reading his sermon before he preached it got me to, okay, I'll go get the dust to kill the squash bugs because we had those two aphids. Well, we have a new thing, caterpillars or, or worms on our tomatoes. They're this big and they're cool looking, right? They have this little horn thing on them. Um, and I, we saw one some weeks ago. We're like, cool, Elise, hey, or cat, you know, this is kind of cool. And it made its own cocoon in her aquarium, whatever. Well, I got there the other day. And I'm walking around, I go, what in the world happened to our tomato plants? Because, I mean, whole sections are gone. And then I look, and there's another one of those worms. I'm like, look at it. And another one, another one, another. And I just kept looking. I said, I need to call in reinforcements. And I went out and called Elise. She's our youngest. She came in with a bucket and just started collecting them. And fit. So now she has an aquarium full of these worms. But they will destroy. And so yesterday, we were at the football game talking to somebody who knows gardening probably better than I do. We're like, yeah, we got these worms. She's like, here's what you do. You get a black light, and you go in there at night because they glow. So these worms are green. They blend in perfectly with the plant. So it's really hard to find them. At least found a bunch. But it's really hard to find them. But if we go in, I ordered one. It's coming Tuesday. But we're going to walk around. But this black light is going to reveal the things that are there, but we just can't see them. And they're very destructive. I mean, there are some really good tomatoes totally eaten down to the stem. Whole, everything gone. Well, that's part of the idea that God is like. God reveals things. Some things that we don't know are there and are very destructive. Or we do know they're there and maybe we don't know what to do with them. But God is light, meaning he reveals. But let me give you one of the things I think is central when he reveals that we need to understand that even leads to the rest of this. For the believer, when we come to know Jesus as Lord, one of the first things he's going to reveal that we need to understand is that we are the problem. One of the things God reveals that is really, first of all, is that I'm the problem, right? The government isn't the problem. Other people aren't the problem. God isn't the problem. The church isn't the problem. Now, all of those things can be the problem. Yes, right? Nothing's perfect. But the real problem is in me. That's why I would say... At the beginning, how come some Christians seem to really experience that life? Think of that person that you've met, that you probably know, that no matter their circumstances, you still want to be around them, right? No matter their circumstances, they're encouraging, they're hopeful, right? They crash the car, just a car, <laughs> right? Whatever. They go broke, it's just money. Like, Man, I wish I was more like that. I wish I had money, but was still like that, right? Those types of people, I think part of it is they understand all this out there isn't the problem. The main problem is actually 
me. It's sin in me. That's what leads us to salvation at the beginning, is our need for a Savior. We realize, oh, I'm the problem. I have sin in me, and there's nothing I can do about it. I need a Savior. It starts there, but it sure doesn't end there. So, again, the first thing, light reveals or illuminates. What else does light do? Light measures. Light measures. Right? How do we measure distance in the galaxy? Light years. When in Genesis, when God created the sun, the moon, the stars, he calls these the lights in the heavens, what were they for? To illuminate, but they were also to measure days, weeks, months, years. They're used for, for measuring time. They're used for measuring. So light measures. So what does that mean maybe that God is light? It means he also measures. There is a moral law. There is a moral standard that God has set. And you see in the Old Testament, there's the Mosaic law, which some of that is the moral law, whatever. Um, but the reason we have this law, right, it gives us this measure to go, well, we don't measure up, right? We're not good enough. It reveals our sin. So it measures, and then God's grace is that Jesus covers, right? So it gives us the measure and go, oh, I don't make it, right? And I need Jesus. But once we find Jesus... We get forgiven, we get salvation, we are Christian, right? That, that moral law doesn't go away, right? That moral law is still there, but so we, we know it's there, and then God's going to help us fulfill it as much as possible, and we're going to get more into that. But that moral law, that moral standard still exists. So God measures, gives us something to live up to. Third thing, light energizes and gives life. This is the one... For me, that as I read this, I'm like, yes, that, that is God. God is life. He is life-giving. You ever have a plant that you put on the windowsill and it leans toward the window, right? It leans towards the sun. Or there's plants even outside that you put out and it kind of follows the sun. It's kind of neat how God created that. But light gives life. The sun gives life. Why are people in Alaska all depressed they don't have enough sun, right? Or those, those vitamin D lamps, there's those things. We need the light. Light makes things thrive and live. And that's what God does. John 3.19 says this. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. If God is light and he does all these great things, why do people struggle right, to, eat, to become believers, but then even after being a believer, why do we struggle? Why do we feel like we're stumbling along? Could it be there's a piece of us that still loves the darkness? Let's be honest. <laughs> there probably is. We know the darkness in here, and the scripture makes that very clear. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness. I'll, I'll be honest. When I first became a pastor, excited, God wants to do great things, and he does. I want to see people enjoy the freedom that God gives, all this stuff. The, the longer I go as a pastor, the more I realize there is no arriving. <laughs> that, that there's, there's an aspect of darkness in every single believer that God is trying to get rid of, but we're all kind of stumbling in this process, which is encouraging to me that nobody else has arrived either, as I look at myself and go, oh, I'm in process. But that's here. God reveals. But what do we love? Do we love the darkness or do we love the light? There's a fact of human existence, that our default before Christ, our default is the world and darkness. But now let's look at the benefits of God being light. So we had the truth in verse 5. Now, what are the benefits of him being light? Look at verse 6. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What are these benefits? As we look at this, we see something pretty clear here. These benefits are that we are free to be real. That's why we've titled this series, Get Real. We are free to be ourselves. The benefits, though, the benefits of this, the benefits of fellowship with God are conditional on our walking in the light. Right? So why is it we don't experience all these benefits, although we might be saved, there is a condition. It's conditioned on us walking in the light. So what does that mean to walk in the light? Because he begins in verse 7, if, right? So there's an if. That that's the condition. What does it mean to walk in the light? Maybe you've been in the church a while. Think about maybe your traditional church interpretation of this verse. What would it be? If somebody says walk in the light, what do they most often mean? Go obey. Go be good. Stop sinning. That, that if we're sinning, we're walking in darkness. But if we obey, we're walking in the light. Let me tell you, I don't think that's what this means. I think that's a wrong interpretation. And I think that often leads to a, a disconnect with our relationship with God because it leads to pretending, right? If, if the church is supposed to just be full of good people, you all better leave, right? And I better leave. The church isn't for good people, the church is for, for all people, but we get to a point oftentimes in the church where we want to keep, you know, bring in the good people or get cleaned up. People think this, get your act together, then come to God, then come to church. Well, that's not it at all, right? We come to God and he cleans us up and he works on us. So here it's not go be good. That's awful. That leads to several things, right? Either guilt and shame or it leads to us being really good at faking it. Really good at masking up, right? These, these mask mandates that we've had over the past couple of years because of this COVID thing. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> Something interesting happened, and I know at least one person that dealt with this. The mask on, when the mask mandates went away, it was like, I don't want to stop wearing it. Why? Are you scared of COVID? No. Then people will see my face. Oh, there was some comfort in, in hiding, right? So I'm talking to somebody. I don't have to smile because they can't see my mouth, right? I can scowl at them while they're talking, and they don't even know it, Wh whatever it is, right? We, some people like that mask. There's some security in hiding behind that mask. But that has been damaging to people, right? The studies are even shown with kids having a mat, all this stuff. It's been damaging. And let me tell you, it's very damaging for us spiritually to wear a mask, to fake it, to pretend, oh, look how holy I am, or whatever it is, to pretend to be something that we're actually not. But here, we want to get real, and let's understand this, and let's understand the cause and the result. Let's not confuse the two. We do not walk in darkness because we sin. We sin because we walk in darkness. So sin is absolutely part of it. But when we say walk in the light, we're not saying go behave, right? Right? We're saying walk in the light 
And then the result will be a lack of sin. The result will be God working through us to get done with some of these things. How do we do this? It comes down to this word fellowship. You see this word in verse 3, verse 6, and verse 7 about fellowship. And John talks about fellowship with the believers. He says fellowship with us, but our fellowship is with Jesus and with the Father. What is fellowship? We talked about it some last week. But that fellowship is a, a shared relationship, a shared cause, right? A shared purpose, all being together, going in, you know, a team, basically. That is fellowship. And there's a difference between relationship and fellowship. So somebody can believe what we saw in the first four verses of who Jesus is and say, yes, I believe this, and then not walk in fellowship. You can have a relationship with God without walking in fellowship with God. Now, that gets kind of sticky theologically, right, that I'm just saved by saying I believe and then live however I want. That doesn't really jive with Scripture. But we can believe in God truly, and then walk not in fellowship. And that's what he's talking about here with this idea of fellowship. Or another word we might use for that is abide. It's interesting how different writers in Scripture kind of say the same thing using different words to help us. But this is also abiding. A relationship means that God has made everything available to you. Fellowship means you're drawing on him for those things. Relationship is accepting Christ. Fellowship is experiencing Christ. So the silly picture that came to mind is this, tools, right? I'm not much of a mechanic, and so in my garage, I have some tools, but I store them in, it's an it's a old uh, file cabinet with all the stuff removed, and I just throw all the tools in there, or another, and they're kind of all mixed up, and so when I go to fix something, I have about a half an hour to find whatever tool I need, and most of the time, I don't have the right tools, and so I have to jimmy something, I'm like, oh, I'll use that. MacGyver. You know, right? A toothpick and some duct tape. I got it fixed. Whatever. And then I go to some of your garages, some of you people that actually know how to work on cars, and you have all the tools, right? And these nice little cabinets with it labeled and all this stuff, and that's really cool. Um, but this would be like, like me getting that. And I'm getting this tool, and we move it into my garage right there, and I start working on something, and I walk right past that one to my junky way that I used to do it, right? Digging through, trying to find, oh, and the right tool is here in this toolbox, but I don't use it. I go use my toothpick and duct tape, right? That makes no sense. That's kind of this idea here, is that in, in our relationship with God, he's given us everything, Scripture says, everything for, for godliness and peace and joy. He's given us everything, but are we tapping into it? That's where the fellowship part comes in. Now look at verse 6. If, again, condition, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. I love it when scripture gets blunt because I don't have to. Living in darkness and saying me and God are good, John says, you're a liar. No, you're not, right? I'm living this way. I'm going in darkness, whatever, but I believe in Jesus, yeah, so, so we're good. No, you're not. Maybe you do believe it, but you're not fellowshipping with him. You are not good. Prevalent sin in your life is evidence of walking in darkness. It is the result. If we say we have fellowship while walking in darkness, if we say me and God are good, but yet I am living a sinful lifestyle, opening, okay with it, no, you are not fellowshipping with God. If you are accepting the morality the world gives opposed to the morality laid out in Scripture, you are not fellowshipping with God. You're a liar. Scripture said it. That's not me. I'm quoting Scripture, right? You're lying. I, I'm not saying you're not saved. 
This is saying you are not fellowshipping with him because what does light do? Light reveals. And part of that revealing is truth and knowledge. It is. It's revealing the things that are true morally and otherwise. And so when we walk in lies and darkness, we are not fellowshipping with God. Now, this is really good news. This sounds like bad news. But this is really good news because this helps us learn how to walk. How do you get darkness? Right? So here we're talking about walking in light or walking in darkness. How do you get darkness? Simple. You turn out the light. Right? How is it we find ourselves stumbling along? And maybe you're here, you're like, get, get to the application. Help me out here because I am stumbling through light. I feel like I'm in the darkness. How did you get there? Well, remember, light illuminates. Light measures. Light gives life. How do we prevent those from affecting us? Or how do we stop walking in the light? I'm going to give you three things. One, we stop coming to church and gathering with believers. We turn off a light. We stop gathering. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we gather, we're doing what Scripture tells us to do. We, we gather. And from the beginning, they gathered once a week on a Sunday. Now, before Jesus, they gathered on Saturday. That was the Sabbath. When Jesus rose, he rose on a Sunday, which became the day of worship for the church. And so they gathered weekly. And when we get together, we do things like this. We open up the Word, and we get uncomfortable, right? We get uncomfortable. We see what it says, but we learn some things. When we gather, we, we sing. Singing, you know, it's, it's worship. There's prayer in singing. I don't know if you realize that. When you're talking to God by singing, you know, there's, there's prayer there. Something happens when we gather. We are God's people. We are God's temple. God is uniquely present when we gather. He's with you absolutely when you're out alone, but it's unique when we gather. And so when you stop gathering, you're turning off a light, something God wants to do in your life. You know, stats show that the average churchgoer attends church once a month. That's the average in the United States. The early church would look at that and go, I don't get it. They really wouldn't. So we're saved and we're brought into God's fellowship. So why wouldn't we be in the fellowship? It doesn't quite make sense. Again, we're not saying come to church because that's what good Christians do. Right? We're not talking, obey, go to church. That's not what we're saying at all. We're saying being here is, is an aspect of walking in the light. I can't tell you how many times somebody has come up after a service or that week texted something of, man, Sunday is exactly what I needed. That message was right to me. Or the music oh, it just struck me that day. People even, t oh man, the music today, it just really hit me. Or I've also, just being among God's people, it was really impactful. Somebody did something for me that, that really changed me today. A lot of times, not every, a lot of times, that person hasn't been here in a very long time. And my response is, duh, you're spiritually starving. I could have said anything. <laughs> Right? I could have opened to anything and started reading and the Holy Spirit would have hit you with it because you're spiritually starving. And often if it's that person, I'll say, you should probably come back next week too. <laughs> Maybe God has more things to say to, do, to you and doing you. Again, we're not saying be obedient. This isn't some church growth thing. This is God has a plan for you and it includes gathering together. So, two, how do we turn out the light that God wants to use in our life? We stop reading scripture. We stop reading scripture. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful, 
sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's word is powerful. This book is not just a book. It's not just a traditional book, a historical book. It is powerful because it is the word of God. It is as if God breathed, it talks about, and, and the, the words appeared on, on the page, and it's powerful. I can attest to this. There's times when I open it, and what I just need is encouragement from God, and I get it. Again, remember at the beginning, God is light. The bigger our view of God gets, the better life is. There's times I'll get into this, and again, God just reminds me who he is. You know, I see him talking to uh, Elijah, right? Elijah's hiding in a cave, and he's like, what's your deal, right? Come out here. I'm going to show myself to you. We're like, oh, man, God is so big. Okay, I, I get it, right? We see Elijah. We preached on some of this over the summer with the prophets of Baal, right, of how he wins there. It's like, oh, okay, God is so big. What, scripture is powerful. When we stop reading it, we turn off a very bright light that God wants to use in our life. It reveals who God is. It reveals sin, but it also reveals grace, right? It doesn't, again, a lot of times the Bible's been used to beat people, right? Behave, be good, stop sinning. Here's the thing it reveals, that God is loving and gracious. We're going to talk about sin some more. But all this, we get to know God. This is a light that he uses. But I know what you're thinking. I know people who go to church every week. I know people that quote scripture all the time, and I don't want to be around them. They're, they're nasty, they're judgmental, they're angry, right? Wh whatever it is, nobody gets along with them. Maybe this is you, I'm not saying that. But you're saying, okay, but there's something else. There is something else. Number three, I think this one's huge. We stop looking critically at ourselves. We stop looking critically at ourselves and we turn out the lights. Psalm 139 23 to 24 says, <laughs> I don't like being in the dark. <laughs> I was reading a verse. <laughs> it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Do you find yourself in darkness, right? Walking in the dark, stumbling along. Here's that third piece. Are you letting these things do something in you? Are you asking the hard, critical questions about yourself? Because what did we see? Light reveals, and one of the things it teaches first is, I'm the problem. And so one of these big solutions is, we realize, I'm the problem. There's a lot of humility in this. Right? When I have relational things, maybe I'm the problem. Or that person, man, I got something with that person and that person and that person. What's the constant? You. Right? And so here's this third, third thing that we do to turn out the light is we stop looking critically at ourselves. You know, God shines the light to reveal things that he wants to deal with. Sin. He also shines the light to show us who he is and where we are, right? That leads to joy, leads to worship. Look at verse 8. I like verse 8. Verse 8 says, if, again, conditional, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What is great about that verse? That verse is saying pretending to be perfect doesn't work. That if you come into the church, you come, whatever, you put on this mask that you're good, we're all like, no, you're not. <laughs> we know it because the scripture just says it, right? If anybody says they're perfect, they're a liar. 
right? They're struggling with their fellowship with God because they're not perfect. This is so freeing. We said, get real, right? We're free to be real. God is saying, I see your heart. I get it, right? You don't have to fake it anymore. That's what he's saying right here. You do not have to fake it. To walk in the light is to see what God reveals and then get real with God, one another, and ourselves. That's fellowship. But here's the problem. I don't want to get real. Maybe you can relate. I, I, don't, I don't want to get real with you because then you're going to judge me. I, I don't want to get real with myself because then I'm going to have to deal with some things. I don't want to get real with God because then I get small and he gets big and, and we have to deal with some things. Our heart is drawn toward the darkness. It feels good to be unknown for God and others, and often even to ourselves. When we do these things, when we keep the light on, God reveals, it's like, man, I got something else to deal with. But at the same time, God has mercy and shows grace. And this is where the best news comes in. Because if we're maintaining fellowship, that means the lights are on and we're known. Again, we're not maybe always fully known to everybody, but the lights are on, God is revealing, we're wanting to deal with these things, we're confessing them to one another, and here's the really good news, verse seven. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, we maintain fellowship while the light is on. That's, I think that's key. While I'm struggling in life, or while God, God reveals sin in my life, I don't step out of fellowship. How often have you seen this, or have you done this? I'm struggling with something my first step away from God's people. I just feel guilty being around him. No, if we walk in the light, God is going to reveal those things, but we continue to walk in the fellowship. But even better than that, even better than that, is that Jesus' blood cleanses us. That is present tense. When we're saved, we're forgiven forever for all sin when we're saved. But here, there's this, this blood covers us now. Like, I just sinned. What happens? Jesus, his blood covers that sin, right? We are forgiven this is such good news. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love this. The light reveals, sin, it reveals issues. We confess it because guess what? He knows anyway. And we all know we're not perfect, so we're free to confess it to him and to one another. And then we receive forgiveness. That's where we, we receive God's grace. That's where we feel his mercy. That's where we start to grow. Listen, if we fake it, we will never grow. If we fake it, we will never grow. Why is it so few believers seem to really experience this life? I think a lot of us are faking it. I think a lot of us have these masks on. We don't feel like we can be real. And here's, here's the frustrating part. In the church, historically, a lot of times, it's not the place to be real. Right? It's, it's, a lot of times, it's the place you get real and people do start judging, right? Or you start feeling excluded. That's not who we're to be. So if you struggle with that, somebody gets real and you're like, ooh, naughty, naughty, naughty. You, you know, let's struggle with that in ourselves. Instead, look how Jesus would. Yes, I, I hear you, and that's bad. But <laughs> let's go together, right? Bear one another's burden, Scripture talks about. The fellowship is important that we can walk through these things together. We don't have to fake it. Again, faking our spiritual holiness guarantees God won't work in us. It guarantees to keep us in those habits. 
in those addictions, whatever it is that you're stumbling along, you stay in the darkness, you're going to keep stumbling along. It's not like all of a sudden the light's just going to come on. We have to choose to walk in the light. But we finish, finish with 2-1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I, I love this. He says, you're probably going to sin. I hope you don't. <laughs> Right, John said, I'm writing these so that you walk in the light, so that you don't walk in sin. That's best for you and for everybody around you. It's just best. But if you do, right, if you do stumble along, you realize you turn the light off, you trip, you stumble. Here's the truth. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What does that mean? We have an advocate. The idea here is Jesus right next to the Father, right? You stumble in sin, and Jesus is like, hey, remember, I died for that. Remember, my blood covers that. God's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. No, he doesn't forget. But that's the, that's the picture, right? We have an advocate. Jesus is saying, she's mine. He's mine. They're forgiven. They're mine forever. Oh, there's so much peace in that. Not an excuse. This is not an excuse to continue walking in sin. In Romans, Paul says this. Because of all this grace, should we just continue to walk in sin? And he has the most emphatic, heck, no. No way. That is, if we're walking in the light, we want to walk in his way. So here's my final question. Do you want the joy of fellowship with God? Turn the lights on. Not go behave. Walk in the light. Abide in him, and you'll see him producing some of these things in and through you. And so are you walking in the light? Did any of this kind of hit you? Guess what? One light is on, this one. That's the, the coming to church. You're here, right? So that's good. But now what else is God showing you? Being here is a great opportunity to respond. We're going to do communion now. And this is our time to remember Jesus' death and his resurrection. We're told to do this. We're not told how often. We're told whenever you do this, do this, Jesus said, in remembrance of me. We take the cup remembering Jesus' blood spilt on the cross. That blood that we saw right here covers all your sin. We remember Jesus' body broken. He was beaten, the crown of thorns to a point that he was, un, the Bible says, unrecognizable as a human. He did that for us. And so we do this remembering what he did. This is a perfect time for confession of sin, right? If maybe some habit, whatever it is, was revealed in you or something you've been struggling with, this is a perfect time to admit it and confess it and receive forgiveness as we see in verse 9. And so you can do that. You can go to these walls. You can write down a prayer, stick it in there. I'm going to be in the back. You can come talk to me. Maybe your, people from your group are here. You need to grab one of them. Say, hey, I want to tell you something. And receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's what we do. So as we take the Lord's Supper, God tells us, examine your heart first and then deal with it. And then come take, remembering what Jesus did to earn your eternal salvation. And there's a second part, looking forward to his coming again. So taking the Lord's Supper here is hopeful at the same time, right? There's the confession, seeing what he did, hurting a little bit through that, and then there's the, oh, we're forgiven, and then looking forward, Jesus is coming back, and it could be any minute. Someday he's going to come back when I say that. He can come back, but it's true. He can come back any minute, and so we are hopeful, expectant, looking forward to his return, and part of this taking the Lord's Supper is doing exactly that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
I do ask that you would examine our hearts. As the psalmist writes, search me, O Lord, and try my heart. Look at my mind. See if there be any hurtful way and lead me in the everlasting way. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do that in us. Not so that we would wallow in guilt or shame or any of that, but that we would turn a light on that you have given us, a tool that you have given us to have the abundant life you promised. The abundant life you promised as we fellowship with you. And so, God, I just ask for every person in here that they could be honest with themselves and then honest with you. God, if there's anything we need to confess, let us confess it. If there's anything we need to put aside, let us put it aside. If there's a relationship that maybe we need to go and ask forgiveness, we need to try and reconcile with a fellow believer that we would do that. And God, that that would lead us to thankfully taking your Lord's Supper, this meal that you've given us to remember what you did, And then our worship, God, as we do these last couple songs, I pray that it would be authentic from our heart to you, that our voices would be a fragrant aroma to you because we love you. You are so worth it. God, as I look at these verses, I I realize my tendency would be to go to darkness and you love me anyway. That sometimes when I do step into darkness, you love me anyway and you graciously will kick me out of that. God, if I'm open to walking in the light, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done in Jesus' name.